This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. But Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in God's country in the Melvin Law Studio. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, with Kat Kamek here just in a moment about so many things that are about to blow up on our face in this country. And hopefully she can somehow stick her finger in the dike and fend some of this stuff off. We're going to have a few minutes with her before she rushes off to a meeting. Um, that in, You know, these meetings in D.C. are endless and they get nothing done. So I don't envy her going off to the meetings. I, I can't stand going to a meeting where everybody just jaws and hears his head rattle. But I hope you get something done. Uh, <laughs> Congresswoman, <laughs> listen, I know what you want to talk about, and I'm very concerned about it. And this doggone 42 real rolled back by this Biden is insane. And when it's coupled with the lax accountability of registered voters, we've got a recipe for a disaster, do we not? You know, Ward, this is probably the most significant policy decision that we're going to see here this year, if not for the next couple of years, because we clearly have a crisis on the southwest border. That's no surprise to anyone. Even the left admits that we have an untenable situation. But with the rollback of Title 42, which is a health policy uh, that basically says we have a crisis on our hands, therefore we are not accepting any any migrants, any illegals. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's really kind of the the thing that's holding. Uh, back the total tidal wave, even though we do, in my opinion, have an invasion at the southwest border. This is stopping so much that, uh, you know, our Border Patrol agents are, are begging for it. I'll give you an example. We're seeing uh, throughout the last couple of weeks an average of 8,000 illegals being apprehended a day. 8,000 a day. Now, when you factor in the gotaways, which are the individuals who will absolutely get flagged in the system for sex crimes, uh, for violent crimes, or they are carrying drugs, that is also a major issue that doesn't get factored into the 8,000 a day that are being apprehended. Currently, of those 8,000, about half get turned around under Title 42. The remaining half gets processed and released into the United States. That is a, a terribly broken situation as is. And the thing that we are going to see if Title 42 goes away is that number will then not only allow the 8,000 to go into the United States, but that number is going to quadruple because it is a magnet. At this point, we're saying it is open season. You can come into the United States. Border Patrol agents will process you. They'll give you a, a court date five years from now, and you'll have benefits. That's what this administration is doing. Our Border Patrol agents have been absolutely on fire texting me, other members of Congress saying, please stop this. Please hold the line. We cannot handle a surge if Title 242 goes away. It's a disaster in the making. Would you please explain for the listeners and the viewers exactly how the process would work, if it could work, in stopping this? So Title 42 is a health directive that is a CDC directive. And I actually spoke with Secretary Mayorkas, who's the Homeland Security uh, Secretary, in an off-the-record off meeting. And he had said at one point that he has not been in communication with the White House about the Title 42 policy. It's actually a CDC directive. But my counterback to that is, listen, in Washington, D.C., Nancy Pelosi has extended proxy voting, which to me is wholly unconstitutional. And I have never proxy voted. In fact, I am probably the largest critic of proxy voting. That is in place and has been extended in the House of Representatives due to a health emergency. That's interesting. On an airplane to get here to Washington, D.C., I was forced to wear a mask because of a health emergency. But when it comes to the rest of America, 
they say, nope, Title 42 is no longer a valid issue for us to uphold because there is no health emergency. Despite the fact that we still wear masks on planes, that there's still uh, proxy voting in place, and the Senate is currently deliberating a $10 billion COVID relief package, even though there's $800 billion that has still been unspent for COVID funds. The double standard and hypocrisy knows no bounds in Washington. So DHS is saying they're not health experts. They have no say in Title 42 staying or going. The CDC is punting saying, no, that's an administration call. Nobody seems to want to take ownership of this because they know what the ramifications are going to be. They know that this is going to flood our communities even more so with narcotics, trafficking, crime, homelessness. They know this is a disaster, but I believe firmly when you look at the policies of the Biden-Pelosi regime and them wanting to federalize and take over our elections, taking away citizenship as a requirement, and the open border policy, it's clear that this is about winning elections and staying in control. That, at the, at the end of the day, is what it's all about. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I'm living in an age when having common sense is approaching being paranoid. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist person, but on the other hand, and you're there close to the heartbeat of this, these people lie awake 24-7 planning strategies and believing they won't get caught. And locally, we have uncovered, as you know, things that I think they thought they'd never get caught at. And that is not checking who is voting. That's the bottom line. And this is a, to pad the rolls, really. It's pretty obvious this will pad the rolls. And well, by, by the way, John Binder right now off, off of Breitbart just published a very detailed account of the effects of this uh, rollback of 42 on everything from single family rents to, um, uh, you know, size of cities to the whole nine yards. I mean, it's got a ripple effect, a domino effect, like uh, it it doesn't end. So I I don't know, you know, is this, well, we got such a split 50, 50 deal. I don't know how we get anything done quite frankly. Okay. We're, We're taking the house backward. I mean, every day, our team is working on exposing the hypocrisy and dangerous nature of this administration and their policies. We're working to help candidates across the country uh, get in a position where they can help take back seats that were democratically held or held by, by folks that were a little too moderate, maybe sympathizing a little bit too much with this open border, uh, you know, free for all dependency and control agenda. We're focusing on helping candidates that are America first candidates get elected because that's what we need to do to stop this. But we also need to manage expectations just because we win the House back in November and the Senate, which I do believe we will, doesn't mean that the the administration is going to sign every piece of legislation we put on their desk. And I don't think that we will have a veto proof majority. So for us, it's about exercising the will of the American people, putting that in Biden's face on his desk and saying, if you do not if you do not get with the program, because we have a mandate at that point by the American people, that just makes it all the more clear that he will be a one-term president. And, you know, we talk about Title 42 and how every town in America is a border town. I've been there to the border myself three times. I've taken our sheriffs, um, you know, with me to the border. They've seen these atrocities firsthand. Yesterday, when I was sitting with Secretary Mayorkas, I actually told him, you know, I know you hear about this in, in stories and members mention, you know, mothers that funerals that they've gone to. Let me give you something that's happened in the last 24 hours. As many people know, my husband's a firefighter for the city of Gainesville. He was working a double shift and he in one single night, and I gave the timestamps, he went to three overdoses, three overdoses. And this is fentanyl that has been mixed in and it's, it's Molly that's been laced with fentanyl. We know where it's coming from. We know where this is, where this is headed and it doesn't impact just one community. It's all communities. You could have a, a, a wealthy neighborhood that's got people overdosing. My husband's responded to those and you could have Grace Marketplace, the homeless encampment where they're responding to these. It affects every aspect of our society and it's directly tied back to the Southwest border this open border policy that we have. The cartels are being empowered. They're making over a billion dollars a month, a month in profits from their smuggling. That doesn't even include the narcotics. And when you think of where they're getting the raw materials, they're coming from China. This is all, uh, I truly believe, not just an invasion. This is an effort to undermine 
American society as we know it. It's literally, truly killing us from within. And it's very much evident that there has to be a controlling committee or mind or um, central command center, if you will, that articulates all these things that they're not being done by accident, especially when you have such an example of a deaf ear from the, from the Oval Office. I mean, a deliberate deaf ear, and you can, we, can, we can say, oh, my golly, it's dementia. It's just a conscious, deliberate action to pad the roles of chaos so that they can come in and claim they're going to straighten it out. What bothers many of us, Kat, is that the Republicans have always seemed to be, at least from our vantage point here on the streets, if you will, doesn't have a well-organized pushback. We know that the other side is extremely well-organized, doesn't mind breaking the rules, doesn't mind packing the courts, doesn't mind putting all this stuff in the curriculum of schools, and cahoots with the media, where is the pushback and what can we do? People like this show and others who are interested, I'm trying to stitch together always a network. What can we do to push back in an organized strategy? And where's it going to come from? Well, you know, and I think it's a couple of different things. And we in the House of Representatives have, for the last several months, building been building out some task forces. Jim Jordan and I serve on a task force together. And we are putting together the plan that Republicans will execute on the minute we take the House back. So come January of next year, we will have a laid out plan that every single candidate and incumbent has campaigned on, shared with their constituency, gotten feedback from their constituency. And it is a guarantee that this will be what we vote on, pass, send to the Senate and put on the president's desk. I think that's critical. It's essentially contract with America 2.0. And I think the trust of the American people has been broken uh, because there's just not a lack of accountability in Washington that you're going to see that plan of commitment to America 2.0, right? That contract with America paired with an accountability oversight investigations going after those that have continually broken the law with zero consequence, the Hunter Bidens of the world. You're going to see those two issues top of mind marching forward collectively as one team, one mission. I know we have a lot of, of infighting that goes on within the party of this is too conservative, that's not conservative enough. And I yesterday actually was in a meeting and I, I stood up, I said, enough. No one back home cares about the petty fights up here. We have to be one team, one mission. Our country is at stake. You see what is happening at the Southwest border. We have Americans that got left behind in Afghanistan. We have World War III brewing. We have inflation approaching 10%. We've got people trying to make decisions between gas or groceries. We are in a total free-for-all uh, in terms of just this downfall of America. And no one cares about the petty fights. They want people to just go up to Washington and do the work. That is it. And so we're focused on that. Like I said, we're helping get candidates that are more interested in rolling their sleeves up than rolling to t uh, rolling up to TV cameras. We're working to find people who have those core principles of our constitution, of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We want constitutional conservatives that are going to execute on their oath every single day without fear of having to say, well, that's not, that's too conservative. I can't vote for that. We're getting back to the basics, and I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised when we take the House back. We have a question coming in here, and you're pretty close to these things. Maybe you can give us a response on it. Obviously, from our point of view, this whole January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection is an attempt to disarm exactly the kind of coalition we're talking about putting together by smearing it and keeping it on the defensive and subpoenaing. The same thing they did with impeaching Trump twice and all that business with shit, you know, a whole bit. Um, uh, what 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 do you say is the power or the possibility of that doggone smear campaign actually going anywhere? I see where Trump's daughter was testifying the other day. To me, it's much to do about nothing. It's exactly a strategy to keep us on our heels. Is that the way it's really going down? You know, I think everyone is pretty much in agreement that the January 6th commission is nothing more than a witch hunt. You know, I, I think that there was a desire at some point early on uh, bipartisanly to get to the bottom of what happened that day. But it has absolutely morphed into a witch hunt of witch hunts. You know, you see the fact that Nancy Pelosi is refusing to allow our 
appointees, Jim Jordan, Jim Banks, um, Rodney Davis, uh, Troy Nels, all these people that we wanted on the committee, she refused to seat them. That's never happened in the history of the United States, ever. So that's your first clue that they weren't interested in the truth. They weren't interested in a bipartisan uh, uh, solution and, and getting to the bottom of it. They were going to take this and run with this to raise dollars and try to corrupt the, the American perception of what really happened that day. We know based on their, their tactics and how they're dealing with people in subpoena and subpoena, subpoenaing. I can't say that word this morning. Clearly need more coffee. Subpoena. I got, I, I know it's a much mouth <laughs> word. It's tough. Yeah. Well, have another cup of coffee. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm on my first one right now. I need to get into my second one clearly, but well, in how of- they have interacted with these people, they're clearly not after the truth. They're clearly not after justice. They're clearly not interested in anything other than getting to a political outcome. That's why they will not disclose Nancy Pelosi's text messages, emails, phone calls from that day. They have been very dodgy when it comes to Democrats and and their communications from that day. If they were interested in the truth, they'd put it all on the table. But they haven't done that and they won't do that. I think it's all about power. It's not about the truth. It's all about power and hanging on to power. And back to the original premise from which they operate, I guess they are really ashamed at the basis uh, that formed the country. Uh, they liberally change where it's convenient, the interpretation of the Constitution, find people to do that. The jurisprudence system seems to be totally uh, infiltrated, if you will, um, by people who interpret uh, the laws that way, uh, rather judi- uh, you know, liberally and, and to meet the circumstances of the situation. Um, how, do you, how do you feel that um, it looks like it's a foregone conclusion that we will appoint this lady? We had three people from our party you know, jump ship. It's the same bunch, always. Maine, Alaska, and I don't know where Romney comes from. It's It's been, you know, he, he could have been president. That's how close it came had he not flinched when they infiltrated that meeting and he basically told the truth. I mean, you don't go bothering trying to round up people not going to vote for you. Every strategist in politics knows that. Yeah. You don't waste dollars on people whose minds you can't change, you know? Exactly. But they no, meant, it- yeah. Well, to me, the, the, the hypocrisy of what we're seeing play out in this confirmation hearing is, you know, Romney actually opposed her confirmation to a lower court, but now somehow things have changed. I'm not quite sure what they're getting at. I don't think that they understand um, where we're at, or maybe they do, and they just are either A, tired of fighting, or they think there's nothing to gain by continuing to push back on this confirmation. You know, we're coming up on one of the most significant rulings um, here in the next few months in June, actually, the Dobbs v. Jackson case, where the Supreme Court will reaffirm a state's right when it comes to the issue of uh, pro-choice, pro-life. And I think that that is going to be a critical moment where we see the court exercising its true authority as the highest court in the land. Now, you put someone who has a long history of going easy on sex offenders, the worst of the worst, who in her own words, she can't define what a woman is, but she wants to weigh in on issues that directly affect women. She wants to say that she's a champion for women and little girls, but she has continually been soft on sex offenders and rapists who have committed the most horrific crimes against young women and girls. It's been a double standard out of every single step of her confirmation. So to have three Republicans vote to confirm her or say they will, pretty disheartening. And I think that just adds fuel to the the flames of frustration that so many of us conservatives feel every day in dealing with what we know to be the quote unquote swamp. Well, it certainly looks as if that's uh, going to be done a deal, so to speak. And uh, uh, the strategy going ahead is going to have to be round up those who are strong and can stand the eye of the storm and handle it. And we got a couple of people, obviously, in this case, they come out and show their colors who can't seem to do it. And they're not going to change. I've, one thing I've learned, Kat, is you're just not going to change people. you got to find people who agree with you and get them. A lot of people would agree, so to speak, but they don't know that they're needed. I found this out from all the dealings I've had with candidates and all that. Um, geez, I didn't know about it. Uh, you could, if you let me know, I'd have, you know, this, that, one, another. So keep in mind that that's one of the things, functions we're going to perform is we're going to try to blast out everything 
we need to blast anytime you need to plug in and help us advertise something on behalf of, you know, we got a kind of a bi-monthly deal here, but it doesn't have to be that rigid. It can be a spontaneous thing practically when uh, you shoot uh, through your, your staff, hey, we have to get something out. We'll just move the agenda around and get it out because, awesome. I mean, that's the flexibility I have as my own podcast staff and director that I don't have to go to a programmer and ask and I can do it. All I need to do is hear from who needs me and we'll do it. Um, and also, I'm also trying to stitch together a like-minded group of speakers and people who plug in from uh, everybody from the Stephen Manfredi organization in D.C. who books his people. Once upon a time, we had Sidney Powell. We've had uh, um, Macari, uh, the Macari guy from uh, um, Breitbart. So we're getting putting together a pretty good library of people that we can reach pretty quickly. Not through the regular channels, if you will, but so to speak, through the back channels. And to me, that's one of the roles we can play. One of the things we can help you with is uh, we'll get to it pretty quickly. We can get, do it. We can turn around on a dime. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's just a contribution because to me, it's going to take. I don't take for granted, Kat, that we will take. I have to operate from this premise. I don't take for granted that we'll win the House back. I don't take for granted that we'll win the Senate. I don't take for granted that, heaven forbid, old Uncle Joe goes to sleep. We got Harris, for God's sakes, you know? And then beyond that, we got Pelosi, for God's sakes. So there's a lot of ifs here that have to come to play. And you gotta, you're doing a great job. I mean, you gotta get in there and fight and, and, and push, you know? And I mean, really be kind, in some cases, I would expect obnoxious even to get your point across, really. I mean, that's the way I am anyway. You wanna be, I'm never wrong. <laughs> I think I honestly, and I appreciate what you guys are doing and you have to do that these days because the, the big mainstream media has an agenda as we all know. And I think that's why it's so important that we have folks that are willing to step up and get the truth out there. Not all of these issues can be summed up in a tweet, you know, and so many people are getting their news from, oh, I saw this on Facebook, therefore it must be true. Or I saw that on Twitter, therefore it must be a uh, 100% fact. no. Some of these issues are deeply complex and they require people who are principled, who are really truly adhering to the constitution to navigate them. And, and sometimes it's emotional and you feel like, listen, I, I know that this would be helpful in some way, but that's not the role of government. That's not who we are. And so it takes people of true strength and grit to really adhere to that. And there are some really difficult situations up here. Let me tell you, I, I I voted yesterday against a NATO resolution and I had people blowing up my phone. I can't believe that you are voting against a NATO resolution. I said, it creates a new entity within NATO. What in the heck are you thinking? We have an, uh, an invasion on our Southwest border and you're concerned about sending taxpayer dollars to create a new entity within NATO. Like people don't think about what their, their actions do in terms of consequences for not just taxpayers, but for Americans moving forward and for kids. I had, uh, I took my nephew out to lunch the other day and he asked me, so Aunt Kat, what is it that, that you do in Washington every day? And I, said, <laughs> I said, well, I don't know if I can really sum that up in a concise way, but I'll try. And I sat there for a minute trying to think of a way to, to really drive home um, of uh, uh, the significance of, of what we're trying to do. And I said, you know, you know, buddy, you know, when you grow up and, and you want to be a police officer? And he said, yeah. Uh, I said, you're going to take home a paycheck. And that paycheck, let's just say it's a thousand dollars. Of course, we know it wouldn't be a thousand dollars, but uh, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's 10. And I said, you're, <laughs> you're going to take home a paycheck and it's a thousand dollars, for example. And he said, okay. I said, what I'm doing today is making sure that you can keep as close to a thousand dollars in your paycheck so that instead of uh, them saying, no, you're only going to get 500 when you earned a thousand, that's what I'm doing in Washington. And he said, but that's like 10 years from now. And I was like, <laughs> exactly what happens today is going to impact your paychecks tomorrow and 10 years from now. And he's like, well, you better tell them that I want all my money. <laughs> <laughs> and for that money to be worth something, you know. Exactly, exactly. And so it's, I'm always trying to, to think of ways that we can protect our future generations. We can really protect our country from this very slow mission creep that we've been experiencing 
as a nation. And, and every day it's a battle because every day we, we take votes on things that are unconstitutional. We take votes on things that are slowly eroding our rights, our freedoms, our liberties. And I continually go to try to speak to groups to tell them it's one thing to say you're fighting for freedom, but when you're talking to a new generation of millennials and Gen Z's, they don't know what real freedom looks like. You've got voters that didn't know what it was like to fly before TSA. You know, it's all relative to what you know growing up. And so we need to stop that slow creep. And I know that's a bigger conversation for another day, but that's, <laughs> well, that's know, kind of where a, we're at. Yeah, we need a speaker's bureau with a lot of things we could really get organized. <laughs> so we could go out and kind of, you know, pitch the pitch it to the people who need to hear it. But yeah. I always appreciate you taking time out with us. Um, there are lots of things, you know, one of the really strange things going on now is this relentless printing of money. Uh, they can't be. One time, Billy Matthews, I don't know if you ever remember him, but he was a four-time congressman from the Newberry area here, served four presidents, um, very good man, retired and came to teach with us at Santa Fe. He told me something I've never forgotten. He said, Ward, if and when the price of food skyrockets, there will be revolution. And we're pretty close to that. I checked the price of meat in the grocery store the other day. Hey, goodbye to that on your dinner table as a routine. Price of bacon? You know, now this is going to creep. And then combine that with the price of gas and then let that ripple through the economy. Um, and then open up the borders and uh, let them flood the gates and then give money, uh, which you don't have, to understandably a, a good cause, Ukraine. But, you know, putting money at it and going to do it. You know, that's not that's exactly not do it. We have to stop. We, we got to get out of the mindset that throwing money at a problem fixes it. Sometimes Absolutely. it's just getting back to the basics. Enforce the laws that are currently on the books. You fix the border crisis. You know, it, it's really, really simple in some of those in some of those aspects. But you're 100 percent right. I mean, you're looking at 700 percent increase in fertilizer. The cost of diesel oh. the other day when I was back home was five nineteen a gallon. You know, I, yesterday I was in a hearing for for ag. And the title of the hearing was Renewable Energy in Rural America. Oh, my and I, God. I, I, I ripped into the undersecretary and I basically told her, this is reflective of how tone deaf Washington is. How dare you have the nerve to talk to rural Americans about renewable energy and buying Teslas when people are trying to struggle to put food on the table and fill up their gas tanks? We need gas prices to come down, not empty out our strategic reserves. We need to put America first, and that is how we get this done. Don't talk to me about installing charging stations in rural America when you don't have broadband. Like, give me a break. And uh, again, Washington is out of touch. We're, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that uh, Main Street reaches, you know, uh, here in Washington, D.C. And it's, it's going to take time, but we're going to get it done. Well, I appreciate you taking time out. I know you got to run to a meeting and you've stayed a little yes. bit longer than your staff said you might be able to uh, stay, but they're, they're creeping having... very close to me right now. Are they creeping close <laughs> to you? Well, we always have engaging conversations. And when you come back, give a holler. Uh, we'll get you on right away. We'll talk here hometown. But um, there's so many things to discuss and you've got your finger on most of the ones that are touching the nerves with us. I'd say most all of them, especially rural America right now, we're fighting for single member districts to have a better voice for rural America. Oh, oh so boy. Important. And we're going to get propaganda from the urban people uh, trying to confuse people about what that means. And so we got a lot of battles we're trying to, to, to uh, put together a good coalition for. So uh, we're going to come up on the bottom of our break. We had a great chat. We call this chat with Kat. Uh, she takes time out whenever she can. And we try to make it bi-monthly. And sometimes something else more urgent comes up. But we'll loop back and get her back. She's a loyal fan of ours. And we're a loyal fan of hers. So. Have a great day and keep in touch. And I'll keep feeding you documents through your staff that might be of interest to you. Uh, I've, sent you I've sent you a few here um, that are kind of local, really hot buttons. So, Actually, right here. That one right there. That, that one, one right, right here. There. That so, one right there. Uh, I actually, I, I currently am having a, I'm, I'm, I'm texting back and forth with our Secretary of State. About this? this? Yeah, good, 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 good. I'm glad to hear that. I'll touch base with you some more about that after a while. Listen, run to that meeting. Do great things for us. I know you will. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have maybe a donut with my coffee, but. <laughs> I'm just going to have another cup of coffee and get on to the next meeting. Okay. But I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Okay. Thank you very much, Kat.
Talking with the Congresswoman Kat Kamek here. We're going to take our break now in the Ward Scott Files, and she's going to hurry off to do the business of Washington, which is hopefully going to be able to get something done. I know she wants to very, very much. Uh, we're going to break for our sponsors and come back in just a moment on the Ward Scott Files. Thank you for listening and watching. Be right This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, Large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. <laughs> Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to the Ward Scott Files. We're live now. I'm Ward Scott in the Melon Law Studio in the Warthog Manly Command Center. We got a little rain outside the uh, command center right now in the piney woods of North Central Florida in God's country. But um, so far, we are powering up. We do not have to go on the backup generators, but should that happen, we'll probably have to have about five minutes to reboot our computers. But be that as it may, just finished talking with Kat Kamik, our representative here from our area uh, to the United States Congress, and she's very much concerned. Uh, and there's so much to be concerned about with this Biden character and that whole crowd uh, that uh, about this uh, 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 48, uh, 42 uh, rollback. And I want to just give you uh, uh, some comments that have come out uh, by John Binder a moment ago on Breitbart. Um, that, that the comments that Binder had, and they're very, very accountable for their research. You can take what they researched in the bank. It's solid. Um, uh, Biden officials admit, and I'm just uh, alluding now, referencing to a Binder's article, uh, potentially 500,000 border crossings and illegal aliens at the U.S.-Mexico border every month. And they're all going to be released into the nation's interior. Uh, this uh, will indicate that a foreign population, get this now, and I got a couple of good buddies watching from Atlanta. Uh, when you release this many people, you're creating a foreign population the size of Atlanta, Georgia, or Tucson, Arizona. And that could arrive at the border over the course of just 30 days. So in 30 days, my friends, uh, we could have an, an illegal immigrant um, assault on our country um, that would be this similar to the number of people that populate uh, Atlanta, Georgia, or Tucson, Arizona. And once that happens, and there's no reason why it won't, because confronting these uh, people with these kind of ideas in their head, which I think is ultimately the goal is to pad the voter rolls, uh, I think these people locally would absolutely shock they got caught at what they're doing. Um, the, uh, the impact is so widespread, uh, particularly for red states, um, whereas, uh, uh, you know, we've, we're trying to manage our, 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 uh, our bank account and keep it in the red and uh, keep our retirement uh, checks valid. And, you know, our retirement checks are actually backed up with money in the state of Florida for all those. And by golly, there's a lot of people, teachers and first responders and all that who do tap into the Florida retirement system. And those checks are always good. Unlike the United States of America, 
uh, we can't just print money in the state. We've got to actually have money to back up that which we send you uh, to, to live on as you've earned of your hard work and commitment to your uh, job that was in the Florida retirement system. So when you put in a massive foreign-born population and then you start hollering they need health care and you start hollering we've got to take some from the rich who are, have ripped everybody else off and so we're going to take a little bit from their health care and we're going to make sure that these illegal people can uh, go get health care. Then what do you see? You see the quality of health care deteriorate and you actually see some of the really fine doctors who are have reached the age where they're very wise and uh, in what they're doing, just as you would hope would accrue with any profession as you get older. Uh, as I get older, I see things more clearly than I did when I was younger. It's just a matter of wear and tear and, and uh, you know, pluses and minuses and learning from your mistakes. And you do that and you have more mistakes as you get old to learn from. So you think, you, you know, you should be learning more. But in the medical profession, those guys, will, they'll, they'll leave. Um, they won't stay in the profession. It's already happening. I'm seeing it happening to some of my friends who are physicians. So there are a lot of ripple effects to this. And I swear, I can't see, unless somebody here on the chat live can convince me I'm wrong, uh, and I'm, I would be willing to listen, but this is not just an insidious a way of seeking power for an ideology or a, an agenda, which is called, quote, unquote, under many names, progressive or, uh, you know, all that kind of business that you see uh, uh, in the news all the time, in the, in the, in the, in the media, the conventional media. So uh, John Binder says the single family rents are going to skyrocket, uh, increasing probably by at least 25% a year, 24, 25%. Um, the prices of things are going to go higher. Um, and you have already seen that in uh, refusal to open up the Keystone Pipeline and to frack here. We've got enough, really, as I understand it, energy to be an energy independent. Then this maddening transfer, termination of a very successful engine, the diesel engine, for example, we use on farm work. Uh, to, I'm not going to run. I got, I got something I want to tell you, Biden. I'm not going to run uh, the tractor off of a battery. I'm not going to have a battery powered tractor. It's not going to work. OK, it's not going to work. Now, they've already affected the quality of the diesel tractors because the older diesel tractors uh, don't have any of the environmental gadgets on them that's supposed to cut down, quote unquote, on these harmful, quote unquote, emissions, the older diesel tractors, you could run all day long and never turn them off. In fact, it was better for you to do that to, for the tractor than it was to turn it on and off. So working in the fields and that you didn't turn the tractors off. You kept them running. And if you pulled down, you, uh, you shut down the idle, put it in neutral and you kept it running. On the newer diesel tractors right now, as I understand it, and I don't have a newer one, don't want a newer one, I couldn't do that. It would clog up uh, all the uh, carburetor, uh, not carburetor, but all the fuel line uh, uh, mechanisms, and it would be uh, uh, detrimental to the health and life of the diesel engine, con which is exactly the opposite of why one runs a diesel, because you run a diesel because it does have sturdiness and health and life. It's really uh, a, a, a fossil fuel version of a mule, but not now because we put um, harness on this thing and you have to shut it off when you climb down off of it. And you can't keep it running all day. That's just one little thing. But we're going to take that and put a battery in there instead of that big diesel engine. Um, I, I, you know, we're going to have, and then you, you watch the price of food skyrocket then. If you haven't seen it skyrocket yet, and it is skyrocketing, you're going to really see it skyrocket. Um, there is a statistic that the Journal of Housing the Comic, Economics has found that uh, increases in immigration into a metropolitan statistical area are linked with rising rents and home prices in that metropolitan statistic area and neighboring metropolitan statistic area. Go let, take a look at the rents and the housing prices here in this community. As, um, and we're not even yet, to my knowledge anyway, hosting a little huge increase in a number of immigrants. But you take these big metropolitan areas and they will be. Um, an increase in the number of immigrants is equal to a 1% of a metropolitan statistical area's total population and therefore almost a 1% increase in rents and almost a 1% increase in home prices. And this same increase in immigrants is associated with over almost 2% a rise in rents and almost 10% rise in home prices in the surrounding metropolitan areas. Um, now, here's the kicker. Since Biden took office, uh, he has grown the nation. To get this now, I'm going to 
This is John Binder, if you want to take a look at it in Breitbart. Binder is the one who is writing about our situation here with the uh, voter registration issues uh, that we've shared with you and we have out on the Ward's Hop Bulletin Board. Since Biden took office, he's grown the nation's illegal population. Are you ready for this? By 1.1 million. And that comes as the foreign born population has hit a record 46.6 million. And the U.S. population has hit a 331.9 million. And it's been driven mostly the increase by um, uh, uh, th this kind of influx of things that are unaccountable for. So uh, without reductions in overall immigration, the foreign born population is projected to hit 70 million uh, by 2060. Well, by 2060, I'll be in the great beyond or the uh, uh, periodic chart of chemistry. Uh, so your children and all that kind of business and grandchildren will have to suffer. And they're, I mean, let's just put it, fat, you know, this is pretty much agreed upon. They're not going to have the quality of life that you've got. Uh, they're not going to ever experience what you experienced. You just take the, sta the state of Florida, for example, and Disney. Uh, I am so thankful that I knew Disney. I mean, I knew Florida without Disney. Uh, it is not even comparable uh, to uh, today with Disney. And I say I blame it on Disney because Disney opened up all this influx of uh, people coming here and other tourist spots. And it was placed on rural land, by the way, a grazing land for Brahma cattle. Um, you know, it was so peaceful here. Uh, traffic was so manageable. Uh, it was so economic, uh, very economical to live here. You could literally live off the land. You could grow your oranges, your fish out of the lakes. And along came this contraption known as Disney. And it, 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 hello, goodbye, it's over. Um, you know, about the only invasion we had back then of Yankees were the spring training camps. And literally the Yankees would come down uh, and train and, this, and the baseball teams would come down and train. And that's about the only invasion we had out of the North. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that I saw Florida that way. And, and because you're, you're, listen, you're never going to see the pristine Florida. Now, I believe in keeping these ecotourist places uh, viable. I am all for that. I am an environmentalist in many, many ways. And the farmer is your best environmentalist. You cannot use the land from which you get your uh, 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 food and really your sustainable wealth. You can't abuse the land or it won't give back to you. If you know how to work with nature and land, then the God will give you back many fold what you put into it. It still amazes me that you put a seed in the ground and out of it comes a tree that gives you a several uh, loads of branches down with lemons or oranges. And you just put one seed in the ground or you put one, one acorn in there and out comes the oak. Uh, you, you take a look at a, uh, a, a cow have a calf. There's no doctor around. There's no book to read. Um, there is no uh, uh, anything. And automatic, automatically, the, the mother knows what to do with the child. And the child knows what to do with the mother. And you sit up on the porch and you want, how do it? No. How do it? No. And those are the things you learn that you want to protect, you want to take care of. But we're losing grazing land and cattle. We're losing the, the, the ability to, to just go out in your backyard and pick an orange off the trees we did in Central Florida. It's... Um, going to be packed into these sardine kind of things, condominium type deals and high rise, this and that. It's, it's, it's a loss of a quality of life that uh, is not going to return. So there's a lot of things about uh, this flooding the gates down here. Well, with, uh, and meanwhile, you know, we'll build walls or try to send money, uh, understandably, over to Ukraine. But like uh, the, uh, a congresswoman said, money's not the answer. Money is not the cure for all evils. There has to be some principles involved in it. And, and you know, just throwing money at it uh, is, is just our typical example of uh, too much allowance for a kid who never did anything to get it. Um, you've heard the old anecdotal stories of I mowed yards or I uh, did this or that, and that's the way I got my allowance. Um, you know, those days seem to be, uh, seem to be gone. I'm going to segue over here to uh, something that I think is really interesting. Uh, production's ready to queue this up. I'm going to give a little blurb to it before we queue it up. You know, um, we've been covering, as you know, this story of um, all the mysterious ways in which voters are re were registered in the Alonzo County Jail, which is just really one part of the story we're covering. 
uh, uh, which you may or may not realize we're working on, sex offenders voting, a lot of things going on that we haven't disclosed publicly yet. And we've just focused on the FDLE investigation of what's going on. And uh, you just heard the, the uh, uh, Congresswoman say that uh, she's talking with the Secretary of State about this. So this story is not over. It's really just taking, uh, uh, if you will, seed like the old seed acorn that grows the oak tree. So uh, we're going to keep you posted. But I, I thought this was so fascinating. I have to uh, uh, really take my hat off to the, the writers from Fresh uh, Florida Take, the young students from um, the uh, uh, University of Florida Journalism School. Boy, those articles which we've been sharing with you on the Wards Bulletin Board are extremely well-written. Uh, they have proper subordination and coordination, which is, uh, means that they're writing compound complex sentences knowingly and know what they do. You cannot write a compound complex sentence with independent clauses and dependent clauses unless you fully understand uh, the structure of how thought goes together in a left to right sequence with our alphabet. Uh, that is a system that uh, most people never reach ability to do. Uh, these students writing these things from Fresh uh, Florida Takes, I think is the name of it, are excellent. Uh, their sentences are works of art. You know, sentences are really where it happens. And I've only seen one place in all my travels where uh, uh, you see sentences framed uh, on, like a picture would be framed and hanging on a wall. Uh, in Bimini, where uh, Hemingway often went to fish and from which he wrote Islands in the Stream, um, he went to the bar called the Complete Anchor. And the Complete Anchor I've been in, um, and I've looked on the wall of the Complete Anchor, and there in picture frames are Hemingway's sentences. And I have seen people go and stand in front of those sentences and just stare at them as they were to pick, as they were a, would a picture. That's how well-written and crafted they are. The real beauty of thought and attention to detail and specificity is in the art of writing the sentence, the skill of writing the sentence. So I applaud those young people. And there's a lady whom I saw yesterday, a young reporter, uh, who went from Channel 20, we're going to roll this in a minute, out to try to get an interview with um, Kim Barton. And Kim, th this interview reminds me of the response a reporter got back from Dion McGraw. I tried to dig it up before we went on the show, but I ran out of time, the Dion McGraw interview. Dion McGraw was mean to the student, uh, told her to get out of her face, and, uh, you know, really a bully, uh, uh, you know, very unbecoming. It's never good for a public official to be like that. She was ugly to, this, to the student reporter, Dion McGraw was, and, and if I can find that, I'll still play it. Just couldn't find it before it went on the air. But, but I can tell you, it was nasty. And all the, all the reporter was doing was doing her job. She was just doing her job, trying to get a statement from Dion McGraw. And you can see where all that wound up. It's been tossed to the curb, had no validity to it. We reported on that. The judge says, get on out of here. You ain't gotten any reason to be even bothering us in the court system. You, you're not going to ever sit on the school board again this term. If you go out and get elected, that's another thing. But we're not, you're not filling this seat. Well, yesterday, there was a, an attempt by another reporter to get a comment from uh, Kim Barton. Are we ready to roll that uh, uh, production? Okay, we're going to roll it. I'm going to watch it. Well, I think we'll run it a couple of times. Uh, let's run it, please, sir. TV 20 News update on the FDLE's investigation into the Alachua County Supervisor of Elections Office's registration of jail inmates. TV 20's Amber Pellicone is live in the studio with how Supervisor of Elections is responding to the allegations. Ten Alachua County jail inmates are facing charges for illegally registering or casting a ballot in the 2020 election. FDLE investigators say Alachua County Elections Office officials did not properly inform inmates about their eligibility to vote. This comes after former Director of Outreach T.J. Pache went into the jail for three separate voting registration events in 2020. Investigators say although it is ultimately up to the voter to know whether they're eligible to vote, after multiple inmate interviews, they concluded inmates, quote, were either told or believed they were able to legally register and or vote. Do you have time for a quick interview just talking I, about the I, investigation? No, I don't. 
Alachua County Supervisor of Elections Kim Barton declined an interview with TV20. If you don't say anything now, then we'll have to go forward and say that you weren't able to talk on camera. So do you have anything to say? I've already sent a statement to you all. Do you have anything to say to voters that may question now the integrity of the Alachua County? And, and that's another thing. Y'all said the integrity of the voter registration. And that is so misleading. FDLE investigators say the elections office could, quote, could compromise the integrity of the Florida voter registration system. And at the time of this interview, TV20 had not received a statement from Barton. We just received that statement minutes ago, and the supervisor of elections denies any wrongdoing. TV20 will continue to provide updates on this investigation. Live in the studio, Amber Pellicone, TV20. Well, thank you very much. We're going to run that again as soon as I comment on them. I thought it was very ugly. I was very embarrassed by Kim Barton. I, I've known her for a long time. But I can tell you what I read into that is she's very pressed. She's very nervous. Uh, she's under a lot of duress, hiding behind the mask, so to speak. But um, she was very, very misleading at the end. She says, oh, that's another thing. You all said no. That reporter did not say that. The FDLE said it. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement said it, Kim Barton, after a long, thorough investigation. And for you to sit there and say, oh, that's another unfair thing you did. All the reporter is doing is asking you, do you have any comment? And all the comments you get out of Kim Barton is, oh, that's another unfair thing you did. The reporter did not do it. The report, which we have posted on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board, for you to look at yourself, concludes that. Concludes that. And that really was disappointing for me. I tell you, that is bad. When you treat that young lady that way, and then you mislead the public as the supervisor, you know better. You know the report said that. The Channel 20, which we're grateful for them doing this and us being able to show this to you, they didn't conclude that. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement concluded it. That report, thanks to the Ward Scott Files, is on the desk of United States Congresswoman Kat Kamek because there are federal rules governing this that don't have anything to do with Brian Kramer. Let's run it again, please. 20 News update on the FDLE's investigation into the Alachua County Supervisor of Elections Office's registration of jail inmates. TV20's Amber Pellicone is live in the studio with House Supervisor of Elections is responding to the allegations. Ten Alachua County jail inmates are facing charges for illegally registering or casting a ballot in the 2020 election. FDLE investigators say Alachua County Elections Office officials did not properly inform inmates about their eligibility to vote. This comes after former Director of Outreach TJ Pache went into the jail for three separate voting registration events in 2020. Investigators say although it is ultimately up to the voter to know whether they're eligible to vote, after multiple inmate interviews, they concluded inmates, quote, were either told or believed they were able to legally register and or vote. Do you have time for a quick interview just talking I about the investigation? To, no, I don't. Alachua County Supervisor of Elections Kim Barton declined an interview with TV20. If you don't say anything now, then we'll have to go forward and say that you weren't able to talk on camera. So do you have anything I to say? I already sent a statement to you all. Do you have anything to say to voters that may question now the integrity of the Alachua County? And, and that's another thing. Y'all said the integrity of the voter registration. And that is so misleading. FDLE investigators say the elections office could, quote, could compromise the integrity of the Florida voter registration system. And at the time of this interview, TV20 had not received a statement from Barton. We just received that statement minutes ago, and the supervisor of elections denies any wrongdoing. TV20 will continue to provide updates on this investigation. Live in the studio, Amber Pellicone, TV20 News.
All right, welcome back. Amber Pellicone, I'm assuming that's the way she pronounces her name, is as tough as nails. Think of this. She stood there with a duly elected woman, much bigger than she, by the way, with a mask on. So that's kind of a disguise, is it not? At a door of a building she's been in charge of as a charter officer, about which there are legitimate questions. And no, she doesn't have time, the supervisor, to answer the report. She doesn't have time. She's already made a statement. Well, at the time the reporter is standing there, Channel 20 doesn't have the statement. So there are several misleading things there that I would term evasive. Now, I'm ready to revise my observations, provided there is a reason to do so. But based upon what I've seen, that is not all that wild a conclusion to reach, I would argue. Now, the other two young people who are doing, as I said a moment ago, a work for Fresh Take Florida, and that's Carolina Elvento and Alexander Lugo. And their reportage has been so good that now Politico has picked it up as one of their top stories, and the Tampa Bay Times has picked it up as one of their top stories. And when you find uh, papers and outlets like that unable to improve on what you've written, uh, you have reached a kind of standard that is professionally very sound, I would suggest to you. So I applaud these young people who have taken this very seriously. And I want to suggest perhaps that this is taken seriously by them because it will directly affect them as they move forward um, as voters and as uh, parents and then as professionals in the community. If they're, as Ed Brady, the chair of the Republican Party of Wallachia County, said very, very well, we don't want an illegitimate vote to cancel a legitimate vote. Well, we know in this case, and I'm just barely, we're just barely uh, skimming the surface. We have sound presentations of evidence that 10 legal votes were canceled by 10 illegal votes in the last 2020 election. And we've had people say to us, oh, that's not statistically significant. Well, Al Gore lost to Bush in the state of Florida by an average of nine votes per county. Nine votes per county. Okay? That is information supplied to me by our data investigator who crunches numbers and provides us with so many of these sound documents, which have been picked up by these young reporters with interest and passion and professional commitment. So I am very, very embarrassed for uh, the supervisor of elections here uh, to behave that way publicly with a reporter. And um, I, I, I just hope that that doesn't happen again. If you're upset about it, that is an elected office, you will have an opportunity perhaps to express your consternation with it and your disapproval of it. But I don't know where all this is going to wind up yet because it's really just warming up as jet engines. It's going to reach and already has, as we know, because these reporters have asked, it has become, uh, it's reached the governor's desk. And it's going, it's reached the secretary of state's desk. Uh, it's reached the congresswoman's desk. So we're going to figure this out because we have to figure it out. And this is just one aspect of it. And what I mean by that is voting. This is just one aspect of it. And I've had people tell me, my golly, imagine magnify this throughout the country. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you go do that and you'll want to jump out a window. So I thank you for uh, your support of the Word Scott Files. I, was, I thank the sponsors. I thank the donators, the donors. And, and uh, to, to, you know, we appreciate it because it allows us to do uh, this type of work. There's some other things we could do, uh, you know, provided we could fund it. And that is uh, more sophisticated equipment for call-ins, more sophisticated equipment for uh, putting together aggregate uh, news stories, things that would expedite 
uh, and give you perhaps a better product. But, you know, we're, we'll keep doing with what we got and uh, uh, we'll appreciate what we got. So uh, have a great day. I appreciate Evan at the production helping all the time. And we, our web is maintained by Lisa Renshaw, Blue Dub Design. We don't often enough mention them. Uh, they are our web designers and they maintain the website, wardscottfiles.com. Have a great day. Ward Hall Command Center out.